On Monday evening, we had, as a church, our first Explore More course. We were looking at Hope Explored. Uh, and it was super, around 20 in the room, uh, half from the church and half guests. Uh, and we had some uh, good food together and a drink. And around the table, the idea was to explore more, explore more of the Christian faith. And we started our evening by asking a few questions. And one of the questions was, what do you think of where the world is heading? You can imagine what the conversation was like, but there were four prompters on each table. Things are getting better, prompter one. What do you think? Do we think that the world is getting better? Uh, do we think that the, the world is just going round in a circle of life like it always has done and always will? Do we think that things are getting worse in the world? What do you think? Imagine the conversation uh, around the table. Or do we just think that the world is in chaos? There's no rhyme or reason for anything. It is just mankind doing what pleases them. The world is in chaos. Well, around our table, there was some discussion around technological advancements that have made some things around the world better. The ability to communicate, perhaps an appreciation of the global picture that we've not had in the past. And then quickly, the conversation went to the same advancement in technology, uh, but around those negative things. The grim realities of fraud and exploitation and abuse. And then we quickly went to the physical world, the environmental scientists that tell us that we're on a knife edge and the world's population must do more. They must move fast before humans destroy the earth as we know it. And then quickly we talked about the sadness of abuse, human trafficking, the chaos of COVID and the ravages of war in Ukraine. Where is the world headed? We started with the first picture, it's getting better. But we very quickly went from there to a world that's getting worse, to a world that's in utter chaos, and yes, a world that goes through its cycles. But it doesn't look as though the world is getting better. What will God do with the mess? Was one of the questions from our table. Of friends that don't know Jesus, who are not Christians. Well, what do you think as a Christian? What will God do with this mess? Why isn't he moving? Why does he let all those bad things happen? Why doesn't he act? Well, here's the Christian's answer today. You might not like it if you're not a Christian. But here's the Christian's answer. He has promised that he will come. He's promised that he will come and tidy all things up. And when he comes, he will be the judge over all things. Two verses quickly. Revelation 19. Here's John in his vision and he says, I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True and with justice he judges. Revelation 20 verse 12. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. Books were opened and another book was opened which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. Here's the Christian answer to where the world is heading. The great judge, the righteous judge, he will be in his rightful place. And the whole of human existence 
will stand on trial. Quite remarkable then that our reading today takes us to the one who stands on trial for things that he has not committed. Look, verse 57, as we have God's word open and as we follow it through, Jesus has been arrested. Remember last week, Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed, Father, take this cup away if you will, but not my will be done, your will. And shortly after, he was arrested and then taken to the house of Caiaphas, the high priest. There the teachers of the law and the elders had assembled and now Jesus stands in the dock. Now Jesus stands on trial. Peter has followed at a distance to see what the outcome will be in verse 58. Why is Jesus here? Why is Jesus on trial? Look at verse 59. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death. Is simply want Jesus dead. That's why Jesus is here. And it doesn't look much like a fair trial. They've got, had many false evidences, but nothing seems to be sticking. Verse 60, they did not find any, though many false witnesses came forward. Funny this, isn't it, that Jesus has been around for a while. He's done his business, not by the cover of darkness. His miracles have not been hidden. His words have not been hushed. He has walked and talked and taught in the heat of the sun for all to see, for all to hear. Why won't the people, the elders, the teachers of the law, accept Jesus for who he is? Why won't they trust that he's the Messiah, the anointed king, the one who has promised to save and bring an end to the mess of the world? That's what he's promised to do. Why won't they? Well, the same question could be of my friends on Monday night. Why won't you trust in Jesus? Perhaps the same question could be for your friends in the workplace tomorrow. Why won't you trust in Jesus? Perhaps that question is relevant for you today. Well, why won't you trust in Jesus? And here's the simple answer. Because people just don't want Jesus. Because people, they don't want him to be the promised king. I was speaking at an event on Friday night to 100 footballers in the room. You can imagine the band to the chat. And when I got up to speak, the disco was about to come on. And uh, just before the disco, I had 10 minutes to try and tell them that Jesus was good news. And it started off all right as I just weaved a couple of stories about uh, my very short uh, playing career. That didn't take long, of course. Before then, I got right into Jesus. And there was a table, not at the back either, just quite close to me. Whenever I mentioned his name, laughing, jeering, scoffing. You see, they just don't want Jesus. When I talked about Jesus' words being perhaps the most influential, 
not perhaps, the most influential words to put your trust in. There was laughter. There was a call out. Rubbish. Well, stronger words than that. Why don't people want to trust in Jesus? Because they want to be their own mini kings. You want to just do life yourself. We just want to go our own way. And here it's happening the same way. No, no, no. This is not the Messiah, the chosen king. We just don't want Jesus to be the one whom the prophets have talked about. But finally two come forward. And they say, verse 61, look... I heard him say this, this fellow, he said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. The threat to the temple was punishable by death. Uh, They've misunderstood Jesus because John 2 talks about Jesus. He was speaking of the temple being his body, his own body. Uh, But perhaps these words will stick. Perhaps if... If the chief priests there, the chief priests and the elders can be convinced, perhaps if Jesus is talking about the temple and he's going to destroy it, that is punishable by death. Caiaphas, he's not sure. He's getting frustrated. Look in verse 62. He goes for the jugular. The high priest stood up and he says to Jesus, Are you not going to answer? Because Jesus will not answer. He remains silent. What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But he will not say a word. It's like at his arrest. There is no resistance. The high priest is frantically trying to get something to stick to Jesus. For there's another trial that comes ahead, of course. The Jews, they don't have the right or the power to execute someone. Not whilst in Roman occupation. As soon as the Jews deem this man fit for death, off he goes for another trial. The Romans will trial him. It was the Romans that had the power to sentence to death. But they want him dead. Caiaphas, he goes for the jugular. I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. At this moment, Jesus, he has a decision. And it's a massive decision. Look, if he says yes to this question, case is closed. They have their man on the basis of blasphemy. He walks to his death if Jesus says yes. If he says no, there's nothing else that sticks on him. He walks out there a free man. So it's time for Jesus to reply. You have said so, Jesus replied. You see that in verse 64? Kind of cryptic. You have said so. You've already come to uh, that uh, decision. But, but you've said these words. But you see the thing is that Jesus doesn't use the phrase that the high priest does. I say to you from now. I say to you all. I say to all of you. Verse 64. From now on you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand 
of the mighty one and coming on the clouds of heaven. He's not using the words the son of God. That's the words that the high priest has used. Jesus used the words, the phrase, the son of man. What, what is there in the reply of Jesus? You have said so, but I'm the son of man, sitting at the right hand of the mighty one and coming on the clouds of heaven. This is what you'll see. It's really important that we understand this. Jesus is using words from Daniel chapter 7. And whilst we won't know Daniel chapter 7 like that, do you know the high priest and the elders, the teachers of the law, they will just like that. And here's what Daniel 7 verses 13 to 14 say. In my vision, Daniel, at night, I looked and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven and he approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence and he was given authority glory and sovereign power all nations and peoples of every language worshipped him his dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed what a turning of the tables See, the one who stands on trial in the middle of the night is like a kangaroo caught of a handful of people. Jesus is saying, look, I'm the one who will be judge over all people. You see, the judges of Jesus in that moment are themselves being judged. And Jesus is saying, look, the old order of Judaism with its temple, with its priesthood, Caiaphas, you... It's been replaced by the new, the death of Jesus that comes, the resurrection of Jesus that comes. It will set off a new change and a new chain of events. Any power that the high priest Caiaphas now has will be blown into oblivion. The enthronement of Jesus is at hand. And look specifically in those words. He is the one with all authority. The one who has sovereign power. He is the king whom everyone will worship. His kingdom will not pass away. It will never end. The old order of sacrifice, the priesthood is coming to an end. But the last words of Jesus. That he speaks to the leaders and the priesthood of Israel. Is that the new king is here. See Caiaphas and everyone present, they do not see it. Of course they do not see it. Look how they react, verse 65. The high priest tore his clothes and said, He has spoken blasphemy. Why do we need any more witnesses? Look now, you have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? He still wants others on his side. He is worthy of death, they answered. Oh, how sad these words. They speak as though he is the guilty one. He is worthy of death. You see, there is no one who deserves death less than the Lord Jesus. A song from Andrew Peterson. Is he worthy? Is he worthy? Is he worthy of all blessing and honour And glory, is he worthy of this? He is. 
Oh, he's not worthy of death. He's worthy of all blessing and honour and glory. He's the one who will deal with death. He's the one who's going to be put to death and rise again. Look, he is the one who will rule. And he will say there will be no more doctors, hospitals, sickness, disease. I've got them. I'm in charge over death. He's worthy of death. They keep pointing and more. They spit in his face. They strike him with their fists. And others slapped him. And they said, prophesy to his Messiah. Who hit you? Oh, what a loser, isn't he? Is Jesus the loser? No. You see, when we turn the tables, we see what a great king. What a loving king. You see, in his kingdom, kingdom there will be no violence. There will be no punching, spitting, slapping. There will be no abuse. There'll be no bullies in his kingdom, but he doesn't defend himself. Why? Why not? Why isn't he riled? Isn't the worst thing someone spitting on someone else? Is that one of the worst things that can happen? What is it within Jesus that stops him from calling? God and the legion of angels to come and destroy the people in front of him. Why? Well, here's why. He doesn't defend himself because he's driven out of love for you, for me. And he wants me and you to be in his kingdom. Sheer compassion. And before you and I start condemning the behaviour, I've already started having nice spitting, worst thing ever. You see, I'm just like that when it comes to Jesus. The song, ashamed I hear my mocking voice cry out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there. What a judge. What a king. Here's the Messiah. I have to ask you this afternoon where you stand before Jesus as the judge. The one who is getting judged. The great judge. He will come and judge all people for how they respond to him. But remember Peter. You remember where he was. He followed him at a distance in verse 58 right up to the courtyard of the high priest. And he entered and he sat down with the guards to see the outcome. Can you imagine what's going on in Peter's head? What is going on within the building? He's in the courtyard. Can you imagine him thinking... This should not happen. This is a a most horrible mistake. He knew he was Messiah. Back in chapter 16 of Matthew, what about you? Jesus asked him, who do you say I am, Peter? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. But you see, after that, Jesus said to him, well, do you know what will happen? I've got to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things. And Peter took him aside and he began to rebuke him and he said, never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Do you know this is unfolding before Peter's eyes now? Never, Lord, this will never happen to you. It's happening before 
his very eyes. And look what's happening now. Peter's sitting in the courtyard and a servant girl comes up to him and says in verse 69, You also were with Jesus of Galilee. Oh, Peter, he denies it. I don't know what you're talking about, he says. He's playing naive to the whole situation. I don't know what you're talking about. And then he went out to the gateway, starts moving further away from Jesus. Where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow is with Jesus of Nazareth. Verse 72, he denied it again with an oath. It's even stronger now. I don't know the man. It's like in the playground. I remember saying it. Swear down. I don't know anything about that. Telling you it's true, says Peter. I don't know him. Oh, Peter, verse 73. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter. He's sticking around, but he's moving further away. They went up to Peter and said, Surely you are, the one, you are one of them. Your accent gives you away. Oh, dear Peter. His accent gives him away. He's from the north. And what's he say? From the north in Galilee. I don't know what you're on about. That's what he says. I don't know the man. Look the sadness in this. He begins to call down curses on himself. And he swore to them. Look, he gets more serious, doesn't it? I remember boys in the playground. It goes from swear down to if they really mean it. I swear on my mother's life. He goes that step further. And he calls curses down on himself. And you know, just before this, just before Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane, he told Peter exactly what would happen. Peter, you will deny me. I will never, said Peter. No chance. I'm with you to the bitter end. And look, immediately a rooster crows. And Peter Remember the words that Jesus had spoken just before the gardener's Gethsemane. Jesus said, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. I don't know if you've watched the passion of the Christ. It depicts the moment quite brilliantly as Jesus is escorted away from the high priest's house. His eyes meet with Peter's. And Peter goes outside and he weeps bitterly. He disowned his best friend, the one who had loved him, who had cared for him, the one who called him on the beach, come, follow me. And there's got to be a challenge in here for us, hasn't there? Look, if you're a Christian, can I ask you what holds you back? Do you feel sometimes that you're following Jesus from afar? That you're in the courts? He's in the house. When it comes to speaking of Jesus and living for him in front of others, in the office, at the school gates, at the pub, in the sports team, with the neighbours. When it comes to an invite to church or even an invite to explore more. Do you know the servant girl in the courtyard is not your judge? 
Do you know the colleague or the neighbour, the friend who scorns you for your faith? They are not your judge. See, people are not your judges. The king of love is your judge. And here he is laying his life down for you. I don't know when it comes to following Jesus, what lesson is there for us in this? Perhaps it's don't stay out in the courtyard. Stay close to him. If you're asking where it went wrong for Peter, perhaps it was that he just didn't listen to the words of Jesus. And so perhaps the challenge for us is to hold on to the words of Jesus and live by them. Oh, later on. We see the most wonderful moment of the relationship restored. Where the resurrected Jesus comes face to face with Peter again. It's a marvellous, marvellous moment. Can I ask you Christian and say to you Christian. That you nothing to be ashamed of. How frightful it seems that I'm more nervous, scared of the servant girl. Then I am at standing tall for Jesus. I'm more scared to speak of him than to speak openly his name, to trust him. And when I fail, I forget that he's got me and he won't let me go. So what's the lesson in here? If you're not a Christian, know that the righteous judge will judge you and it's hard to hear. But he will. But if you are a Christian, you have nothing to be ashamed of. You stand before the righteous judge free, not guilty, held by him. He will not let you go. He'll continue to restore the relationship when you do mess up, when you are ashamed to speak of him. For now, no condemnation. Now you dread. Caiaphas thought he'd won. Peter wept bitterly. Don't be Caiaphas and turn your back on the Messiah. Perhaps don't be Peter today. But to trust Jesus on his word. And you know when you do mess up, and you will, and of course you will. And and when the knees knock and you think, I just want to speak to my friend about Jesus. But it's hard, isn't it? It's hard. And you walk away from that conversation. You go, ah, blown it again. I just want to stand tall for him. You know he's got you. And he won't let you go. And he'll hold you fast to the very end. And he says, come on, I'm living in you. And we'll go again. Let's keep making my name known. I'm the righteous judge. And people need to know where they stand before me.